This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Katie Balls and James Forsyth. So it's the Friday before the budget and we're going to give you a little bit of a look ahead to what some of the main themes Rishi Sunak will be looking at are. Katie, what are the main themes? I think one of the big questions is... What is the economic outlook? We, there's already been a row about the fact Rishi Sunak is alleged to be wanting to use old figures to paint a more negative picture of the economy. Um, so he could have some better news on the day when the budget comes on Wednesday. And then I think in a way, there's a budget, but I think what could have a longer term impact is the spending review. That's the next three years. Obviously, budgets of various departments. And we know that several of the new ministers, I think Michael Gove in terms of MCLG, you also have... the Department of Leveling Up Housing and Communities Lab. Oh, sorry, I'll get that one right. Thank, thank you, James, for stepping in. And Nadine Zahori in education have obviously come in after their predecessors had put in spending bids, and then they've tried to redo those spending bids. So has that worked? Is the Treasury you know, uh, saying, oh, no, the old one has to stand or are they going to, you know, uh, go with the new request and, ha- and how generous is the Treasury going to be? Because I think we've seen this week slightly the various green papers, this tension we've long heard and some of it I think is institutional. Obviously, the Treasury will want to spend less money than number 10. But I think there's also a stylistic and ideological difference between Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak. But, you know, how far does Rishi Sunak go? We know that he wants to get back on the path to fiscal spending. I think there's going to be a focus on early years and childcare in that sense. You've also obviously got lots of people um, pushing him for, you know, to cut duty on like draft beer and various others. I think the things to look out for is when it comes to the government's big domestic reform idea, so that's levelling up. And we've had also net zero a key plank. We've heard a lot this week already. Um, you know, does that get an extra boost? Is there is there much more money to go around? Or is this very much about we are tightening the belt to a degree because we're getting back on that path? James, Rishi Sunak has been one of the most popular politicians throughout this pandemic because he's a person who's been spending. And even in Scotland, he's been quite popular, which is unlike many of his Conservative colleagues. But is this a moment when things change for him, given that we're coming out of the pandemic? I think the most difficult decision of the budget has actually already been taken, which is to, to raise national insurance, to put more money into health and social care. So in, in some ways, because of that, the budget has already been done. I think the interesting question, as, as Katie raises, is where where are you going in terms of, of public spending? How much money are you actually going to put into levelling up, for example? What are your priorities? And also, I think the other big question here is how much goes into education? What, what is the view? Remember Kevin Collins' resignation year. At that time, we were told that there would be more money for education catch-up. How much is there? What is the argument for... You know, and what are the arguments there on on how to do it and how not to do it? And then I think there's also a kind of broader philosophical question, which is, you know... COVID, as, as we've discussed many times before, you know, COVID is, has been like a war in terms of its effect on both the public finances and, you know, state power. 
Now, after World War One, you got the beginnings of the, the welfare state. The Lloyd George government uh, started to set wages for agricultural workers, rent controls, extended unemployment insurance. After World War Two, you got the modern welfare state, uh, the NHS, all the Attlee era nationalisations. How much does this budget represent a conscious attempt to, to say we are post this moment of the huge state handling COVID? Or how much does build back better you know this is a Tory party that is more comfortable with a bigger role for the state than the Tory party has been for about 40 odd years how much does that lead to a different view of the state so what does this budget tell us about what the government and this chancellor think about what the role of the state is i think that is a very interesting question to look out for well katie does the treasury and number 10 agree on this when, when it comes to this broader vision that james is talking about i think where there's a difference is boris johnson it's clearly very comfortable talking about bigger spend and also talking about a more optimistic picture where I think that the Chancellor is more nervous or perhaps risk-averse when it looks at the potential problems coming up the track. I think where it was most striking was if you look at Tory conference, Boris Johnson gave an interview saying you know, he didn't believe these warnings about inflation. The Chancellor we know is worried about inflation. Mm. He's, I think he suggested as much when we interviewed him for The Spectator for the Christmas issue last year and he talked about you know the issue if you have to if rates rise and you have to start paying to service debt things look rather different quite quickly so I think that you can see there how yes they both want to talk up leveling up and you know putting money into public services and and various things but I I think you can see in various ways where I think one is more risk averse than the other and the other tends to say well actually we'll define the gloomsters these warnings don't mean much look at what happened here lots of these warnings don't come true let's plow on and again I do think that in a way, it is the Chancellor's job to remind a Prime Minister of, of those parts. But I think it goes a little bit further in the case of Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak. I, just, I, mean, I, I, I know we'll, we'll, we'll discuss this more on our Saturday shots, but I also think it is worth noting that you know, the new Chief Economist Bank of England is now talking about inflation at 5%, mm-hmm. saying that interest rates rise will be a live discussion at the November meeting of the bank. These inflationary fears, you know, they are they are kind of here and now. And if you consider how dramatically the Bank of England's language has changed from the summer to what it is today, I, I think we are in a, in a in, I mean Katie is completely right that we are in a very different inflationary environment in terms of what the bank how the bank is talking about it. The bank is still saying it's transitory, but it is also suggesting that even transitory inflation might require an interest rate response. And that obviously has that obviously has implications for the public finances. Now, Katie, this week's green announcements from the government have not gone down universally welcomed. And one of the things that people don't like, as well as replacing gas boilers with heat pumps, is this idea of green homes having cheaper mortgages. Can you tell us about what's been going on there? Because we haven't talked about it much on the podcast. Yeah, I think what's interesting is earlier in the week when we were talking about the various you know, green strategies um, being set out, there wasn't an immediate backlash from Tory MPs. And I think lots of the harder decisions have been fudged a bit. It's not a definite ban on boilers even you know when you get to 2035 and so forth but I think something which is now starting to pick up is this green mortgages idea which is a scheme to make properties energy efficient which might actually trap millions in unsellable homes so you've got warnings it could be the next cladding scandal and I think it has the potential if you think about how um, poorly insulated home now I think the fear that you're starting to hear from Tory MPs is if your home is poorly insulated 
is it clear enough the steps you take to make it insulated better? Some properties are going to find it much easier to do that. People have already bought their properties. You could end up in a situation where retrospective changes on places which apply to you, not from what you're buying now, but from what you're in now, the situation you're in, could really change the property market and leave lots of people feeling quite disadvantaged or unable to sell their home if they're not deemed to be well insulated or energy efficient. Um, so I think it's definitely one to watch in terms of the problems from what's been announced so far. Mm. James, what does this all mean for the theme of conservatives being the, the party for the property owning classes? Because as we've talked about with the millennial housing crisis, something very close to my heart, you know, anything that makes mortgages more expensive or housing more expensive seems like a bad I think idea. the danger <laughs> of this is, um, uh, you know, when I first started being the spectator political editor in uh, 2009 one of the big issues of the day was hips home information packs which essentially required people to 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 get someone around to say how energy efficient their house was before it you couldn't sell a house without that the tories ran very hard against the idea because like all of these things you know there were problems you know the cost of it people felt it was a rip-off to get a piece of paper saying that their house was this or that for energy efficiency and i mean you know that this current plan on on insulation, you know, risks the same danger. I think the difference is that in 2009, the Tories completely went after Labour on this, chasing them around. I think Labour will be less likely to be the same on this. There is there is a greater consensus here politically now. The question is, you know, is there some party like Reform, that Richard Tice vehicle, that manages to kind of catch some populist wave of, of, of discontent with these restrictions I and think, also it could negatively impact the consumer even if there's political unity yeah, to the no, point no, no. that the governing party is punished for it even if labor is supporting it i think i think the, the broader tory challenge is that you know the, the tory response to sheshman amersham is essentially to retreat on planning reform and i think this is uh, the, the tory party is storing up a massive long-term problem here you know things that make people vote Tory essentially is buying a house having a family Chris Patton once said you know the facts of life are conservative but you know if you can't buy a house that undoubtedly I think delays family formation and you will end up pushing up the average age of voting conservative I also think it is a bad thing for homeowners I mean one of the most interesting political things is that the mansion tax you would think that a tax on homes over a million pounds would, would be a kind of political plus. I think it actually is one of the things that, that cost the, the Lib Dem seats in, in 2015. The problem you get into is if the number of homeowners keeps falling, if people begin to think they've got no chance of getting on the property ladder, kind of punitive property taxes like mansion taxes and like will just become much more popular politically. And I think it's an unhealthy society. You know, I mean, a property-owning democracy where more people have a stake in society is a healthier society. James and Katie, thanks very much. And do join us again tomorrow for our Saturday Coffee House Shots, where Kate Andrews, our economics editor, will be joining to talk about those very real risks of inflation. Thanks for listening and join us then.